0: you know, it goes, I mean, I, when you're on that side of things, you want to have your hand in all of it, but as an agency or whatever you want to call us from brand developers, you don't always get the opportunity to touch everything, but if it all comes down to the stuff you can improve on and you can affect. And so we're, our focus was on that at that point. And so what we said is like, okay, if we're going to use a logo, which has served them well, but if we're going to use the logo and keep it the same, how do we have everything play off of that? Knowing that that is going to be a very consistent part of it. And also like something we just ultimately touch up.
1: Welcome to A Change of Brand, a show featuring behind-the-scenes stories of rebrand glory, drama, or disaster. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Today's episode cracks open a story about a booming beverage brand and how their packaging update helped thrust them further into the category limelight. And I don't know about you, but before 2010, I can't ever remember even considering to drink a sparkling water. I was borderline offended at snooty restaurants if they offered me still or sparkling, after I asked for water. In fact, when LaCroix first entered the mainstream and onto my radar, I had one friend who consistently called it LaDuty. But now, more than 10 years later, I probably drink two a day. And my experience is a microcosm into the explosive growth of the sparkling water category. And today we get to hear the story of one of its now largest yet unexpected players, Spindrift. In 2016, just months after launching a refreshed packaging design, they closed an impressive round of funding, $10 million to be exact. They also picked up distribution partnerships with companies like Starbucks, Kroger, and Whole Foods, and in two short years, showed an increase of 800% in sales. Today, it's one of the largest startup brands in the sparkling water space. And what caused all of that success? How did they get that distribution deal? Was it a little hard work and hustle? Or did the rebrand cause all of that? Today, we get a glimpse into the real answer. For more context and history on Spindrift and what led up to this 2016 change of brand, let's go to brand strategist Tracy Clark for our briefing.
2: In an attempt to kick a voracious Diet Coke habit, Bill Creelman began tinkering in his kitchen. He grew up in western Massachusetts where eating fresh-caught seafood and summerite berries was a way of life. Creelman was used to simple, unprocessed, and incredibly fresh food, and he soon realized the absurdity of reaching for a sugary, processed soda to pair with a farm-to-table meal. Wanting to instill in his young kids the value of real ingredients, he set out to make a beverage that would match these ideals. In 1997, Creelman and Gil McLean co-founded Stirrings, a line of premium cocktail mixers, rimming salts, and other bar ingredients. Stirrings took off like wildfire and was acquired by beverage powerhouse Diageo in 2009. Nearly a decade after Stirrings' launch, Creelman was back in the lab stirring up something new. After a few false starts, he landed upon a beverage based on just two ingredients, fresh fruit juice and triple-filtered sparkling water. He named it Spindrift a nod to his early days spent on the shores of Nantucket Island. For those who haven't spent a lot of time on the water, a spindrift is that spray that blows off of ocean waves. To Creelman, the name was a perfect metaphor for refreshment. With that, in 2010, Spindrift Beverage Company officially waded into the decade's sparkling water wave, but with a key differentiator. Rather than quenching thirst with the so-called natural flavors in competitors like LaCroix and Bubbly, spindrift stood apart with their one key ingredient. Dubbed the seltzer decade, the 2010s were bursting with bubbly water. From big names like PepsiCo and Coca-Cola, down to private label store brands, it seemed like every brand was getting in on the action, trying to eke out some market share among consumers who were looking for alternatives to sodas and juices. Some of those brands even rose to a cult-like status. I'll mention LaCroix again since they have a level of fandom that has inspired everything from fan art to costumes to user-generated content shares and even an unaffiliated website where you can personalize your own can. Meanwhile, up in Massachusetts, Creelman shops Spindrift around to restaurants and stores all around Boston, and it soon developed a devoted following. From growing staff to growing product lines to new partnerships with quick-serve restaurants and cafes, Spindrift grew by leaps and bounds. In 2016, the company decided to refresh its look and packaging as a way to stand out on the ever-crowded shelves of seltzer and sparkling water in a push for big-box distribution. With new products in the pipeline and a bright future in its sights, Spindrift was ready for a change of brand.
1: Previous to the 2016 redesign, the Spindrift cans were all white and had a lot going on. Three or four typefaces, a logo with cresting waves for the dots over the eyes of the wordmark, and several claims on the front of the pack. 15 calories, no sugar added, seltzer, and made with fresh-squeezed grapefruits or limes or oranges, etc. Oh, and there was a floating little drippy fruit thing in the top right. And part of the problem is that Spindrift is a premium product, but the old packaging felt a little too homegrown. The new packaging and overall identity kept the logo in place, but the refreshed design definitely elevated the brand with its simplified approach. Each can is adorned with a centerpiece, a watercolor fruit illustration, and it has really bold color blocking of white on the top and a lead color on the bottom coordinating with its flavor. Be sure to see the change of brand for yourself at achangeofbrand.com. Just click on this episode and scroll down to see the breakdown. The redesign was led by Colony, a branding and design firm based in LA. I had the chance to talk to the two founders, Adam Renfrey and Adam Nathanson, to get their take on the project. They're really down-to-earth and nice guys and didn't even judge me too much as I pompously swigged a lemon LaCroix in their faces during our interview, which I did apologize for, just for the record. Okay, known as the Adams or Adam Squared, if you will, Adam Nathanson is the creative director and Adam Rinfrey leads strategy. And they're old college buddies meeting at the University of California, Santa Barbara, where they played volleyball together on the school team. And after school, they both had creative careers. And Rinfrey was a little bit more in photography, finding his way into the strategic side after helping launch a few brands and then eventually going in-house with a small craft beer company. The other Adam, Adam Nathanson, is a self-taught graphic designer who mostly did freelance work on an assortment of projects. And eventually, he really focused in on packaging and branding, especially in the beer world as well. Staying in touch over the years, they always hoped to do something together. One day. And then, that day came. Here's Adam Nathanson.
0: 2014, we were sitting down and we were having a beer and we were like, man, are we going to do this thing? Like, If this is ever a time where I think we were both, you know, mid thirties at the time, we just both gotten married. We did not have kids. And we were like, if we're ever going to do this, this is the time. And, you know, we were like, all all right. It was kind of like a blind league of faith to a certain degree. And there was always that thing in the back of our head too. It's like, we're really good friends. We don't want to like damage our friendship, of course. You know, well let's feel this out. And I think, you know, we just went all in and we called together a portfolio between the two of us and we started pitching ourselves as Adam and Adam, like right off the get-go, because we didn't even have a company name. We kind of went from there.
1: Adam and Adam hit the market, ready to storm the branding beaches of the West Coast. When all of a sudden, a really nice new client opportunity rolls in. Here's the other Adam, Adam Renfrey. That kind of came about just by chance.
3: Adam and I had just started the business. We were maybe seven months in in 2015 and i think maybe i don't know if it was a blind email or just a cold call came through from the cmo at the time that's been just walker and he had been familiar with our work from his time at patagonia and he gave us a call and i don't think the adam i had heard of the brand at the time it was a very regional brand in the northeast at the time we were based in la so we had been familiar with it so it was something that kind of came in cold. We kind of quickly did our research and saw what Spendriff was about and kind of jumped into the conversation both feet from there just because, you know, we were so early in the business. We were just still hungry. I mean, I got up We're still Adam and Adam for probably the first four or five months or Adam Square or something silly. And we, and we just started calling like maybe two or three months ahead of that. So it was like our first, it was kind of one of our first official sort of cold calls. They really came to us looking specifically more for like a web rebuild more so than, than anything else. And and their main product at the time was more of a sweetened kind of soda replacement product, which was kind of more on the line of a natural soda. And the seltzers had just launched, which they were calling the sparkling waters at the time. So we were kind of seeing it more as a natural soda product. It was pretty regional, something kind of very farmer's markets, sort very of small market kind of thing. When we first got the call, we hadn't really considered the potential of it in, in the sparkling water category it was, it was their prime product at the time was that one of natural soda.
0: And you know, I think at the time, this is back 2015, I think LaCroix was dominating the conversation, obviously. Like Adam said, we had not heard of Spindrift before. Although, you know, once we did get the introduction, we quickly did our research. We tried the product because they had it at our local Trigger Joe's. And I think, you know, for us, the reaction was similar to what most people experience, where it's just like, it just tastes better. It was like, from the get go, it was like, this is a superior product.
1: After trying the products, the sodas and the sparkling waters, and seeing the brand's potential, the Adams were pretty excited about this opportunity, but it was relegated to just a website rebuild. However, through the foundational strategy conversations for that website, they were able to keep riding the wave and to expand the scope of the project.
3: So they came to us originally for the web redesign, and as we were talking about web design. They kind of opened up to us a bit of the strategy work that was going on, and we started talking about packaging as part of it. Because I was like, "Hey, this is how we want to apply this sort of strategy to web." And then they're, "Hey, well, we're going to redo the packaging. Do you guys want to be a part of this conversation? Well, and, and build it into your sort of bid." And again, like we said, we were early in to the start of Colony, and we saw this as a huge opportunity. And we
1: jumped on it. So Colony, the group formerly known as Adam and Adam or Adam Squared had an exciting rebrand project for this top-of-the-line soda and sparkling water beverage brand. The challenge, though, was to differentiate this brand more clearly from those other heavy-hitting sparkling water brands like LaCroix, not to mention all the private label brands and other startup products like Spindrift. The Adams felt like Spindrift truly had a better product and a great essence as a brand, but they just needed a little focus. We went all in on this idea of real and we really wanted to
0: hang our hat on this one singular message of they're using real fruit and to let everything kind of cascade down from there. So, not to say we're not going to talk about low calorie, not to say we're not going to talk about no sugar. That's for sure going to be part of the messaging. That might just be something that's on side of pack or, you know, on the back. It doesn't necessarily need to be the thing that's front and center. Let's go on this idea of real as opposed to fresh. And that was a big finding as well. This idea of like fresh doesn't necessarily equate to real. And to kind of piggyback on what Adam said, then there's the other side of natural. What does natural mean? I think a lot of people still think natural is in the health side of things where, as we know now, natural flavors are really a number of ingredients that are synthetic and they can include you know, compounds like ethanol. So you know, we really wanted to focus on the singular message and that was really the, the objective from minute one for us. I
3: think in the beginning, we were looking to kind of take it soup and nuts and kind of really go for it. And at first, I think there was a little bit of hesitation to doing that. But then as we kind of got into it, there was a little bit more openness and a little bit more sort of understanding of like, okay, we've got to make make some bigger changes. And so it kind of came down to the idea of like, white was a big part of their brand. They was still wanted to feel light and refreshing and kind of maintain a bit of that white, which we agree with. And the logo, Bill had a kind of affinity for the logo and really liked where it was and how it had been developed. And that was something he wanted to maintain. It was a clear initiative of like, hey, we want to bring in a big, broader, new consumer audience to this, but at the same point, not lose touch with who we already have. And, you know, because they had a pretty loyal fan base in their sort of regional market at the time. So it was kind of like maintain those people, open it up and kind of maintain some of the awareness they already have. We certainly did dive into some strategy as it related to
0: messaging on pack. I think from the get-go, we didn't have, during during our concept phase, we were not... Trying a bunch of different messaging where we were littering the front of pack. I think it was always pretty singular in its expression. We felt pretty confident in the direction. Certainly, there was some strategy in the way we might weight things on the side, what that hierarchy might ultimately be. But we knew where we were starting off. We knew like everything was going to cascade down from this idea of real. From there, you kind of get into your, you know, when you're talking about real fruit, typically lower calorie, lower sugar, nor no sugar, you know, whether it's natural sugars. So we knew we wanted that to be the guiding principle of everything.
3: We had a meeting very early on. and We were kind of in the sort of still kind of feeling each other out. Stage we're in a little hotel room in Santa Monica. It was one of our first big meetings, and they came out from Boston. And the five of us sat in a room, and we kind of reviewed the strategy, and we're going through it. I think we might have even throw some post-its on the wall and things, but it was really kind of like just walking through it and kind of like digging into the research. And it kind of really percolated at the top. This idea of real was the thing that the consumers were grabbing onto, the brand could stand on, and was something they could own in the market. In the beginning, we kind of came out of that, you know, hotel room session and we had a pretty clear idea of what we were going to do. We had this idea of like maintaining the white and how we're going to treat fruit on the front, this messaging. So we did have one big presentation up front where it was like five pretty clear directions sort of fleshed out with can mock-ups and really trying to figure out like, okay, how is the messaging across? How are we going to use color? How are we going to communicate still sparkling water and not a juice? Cause we felt like, you know, too much color was going to communicate too much juice. And while we were doing this, we still were had to account for the, the soda at the same time. So we we're creating a system for both the soda and the sparkling water in parallel. Cause we were kind of going through both, at one time so in the beginning it was like okay here's how we're gonna approach the sparkling waters of seltzer here's how we approach the sodas based on color and, and like kind of mouthfeel and flavor and how we're going to communicate that and so we're kind of like working through illustrations and treatment of white and logo kind of you know through those that first round so the first round was pretty fleshed out big presentation of five full directions we had one that we kind of were leaning into pretty hard but it was like full five directions and you know this was. Five years ago before Zoom, for us, was really a big thing, so it was, you know, it was all over the phone and, you know, presentations, and we were on speaker on our iPhone in our little, like, office upstairs from, you know, Tony Alvarez's old skate shop, and it was a pretty casual
1: kind of thing. Okay, when we come back from the break, we learn more about the options that Adams present And we learn what the real secret ingredient is for the Spindrift success. All that and more after the break. Hey, everyone. I hope you are enjoying the show. If you're really loving it, be sure to follow us on Instagram to see more before and afters or history of the brands we discuss. We do some fun giveaways every so often. So be sure to check it out just at a change of brand. It's also an easy way to tell a friend about the show. Just DM one of your favorite episode posts right on over to that fellow brand nerd of yours and tell them to check it out. You know, leaving a review on Apple podcast is also super cool and helps us out a ton because more people find the show. We all know we listen to shows that have a ton of reviews. It means you are legit. So help us be legit. Last but not least, thank you to Matchstick. It is where I work and our producing partner for this show. We specialize in helping growing brands take their identity to the next level. So if you need help clarifying your message or standing out in the market, be sure to visit us at matchstick.com. Okay, back to the show. When we left off, Adam Nathanson and Adam Renfrey were working hard to launch their new agency colony and pretty quickly landed a great opportunity to rebrand Spindrift, an up-and-coming soda and sparkling beverage brand with a growing following. They were aligned on using real fruit juice as the main differentiator, and were working hard to design a package that felt premium, like the ingredients, but also approachable, like something you might find at a farmer's market.
0: The five directions weren't so far from one another. We were pretty strong in our clear favorite. And luckily, and, and happily, they kind of latched onto that one right away as well. And I just remember, like, post presentation, Strick Walker, uh, the CMO, had called us and he was, he was like, hey, man, that was great. And I think, you know, he said one of the things that Adam and I have talked about this since then that we just got so excited about. it. He was just like, we were reviewing the work and everybody couldn't stop smiling, which at the time was just like, it was like the biggest compliment, you know, because we can't see their faces, you know. We're calling in from this phone and like we're sharing a speaker phone on our iPhone. It was very low fi and we're just starting out our business. And
3: to hear that we're just like, okay. Back then, spender of seventy percent of their sales or whatever happened in the summer. And we signed this work like right at the end of the year. So we had to jump in January one and quickly get through packaging if we were gonna get this stuff out by summer. So it was like a mad sprint the first four or five weeks of the year. And at the time, I was still living in San Diego and I was driving up and Adam and I were jamming all day. And then i would driving back at night and driving back again in the morning. And like Adam said, it was like at the time, we had a small little office above this other other studio place. And it was him and I, I think we were sitting around an iPhone speaker phone and we sent the PDF like 10 minutes before the call. And it was literally like, OK, click on page three on this one. This is what we're <laughs> trying to paint Okay, click to the next page, and we just had to hope they're not clicking through ahead of us, you know.
1: Which you know they were. You know they yeah, were exactly,
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, they probably saw the whole thing before we even got on the phone. but We didn't screen share. We didn't weren't into that um, level of tech quite yet. We were just still like really caught up in doing the work, doing the best possible work. And we had all the directions taped around the studio on the walls and. Kind of picking apart pieces here and there, and it was a pretty nerve wracking, probably first round for us because it was a big, big opportunity, big project. And having strict call us and say how you know everybody was smiling in the room, big relief considering we, we hung up the phone. We're like,
1: I think that went well. You think What was it that ultimately said, like, yes, that's the right direction? What was kind of their reaction to that concept?
3: One of the things that I know. Bill really kind of liked, he really liked the, the fruit illustration style and the watercolor style and how that made him feel that it was still this sort of small, really purposeful brand. But at the same point, still kind of felt like this thing he had worked so hard to create. It was something that was communicating the real fruit message that he had you know, put so much time and figuring out. His story of how he created this thing is him squeezing fruit in his kitchen and sparkling water and making a mess and his wife getting upset with him. That's how he created it. This product, and he really wanted to communicate that sort of like real you know, squeeze fruit done right in this product. So I think he really grabbed on to the fruit illustration.
0: He has a knack for kind of leaning into a little bit more of a minimal point of view from a design sensibility.
1: And when we think about the Spindrift packaging and brand that's out there today, what was it that you were really proud of and excited about in some of that final work? I think for me, it was kind of like
3: the ability to communicate what was differentiated about the product and and stand out in the market? I mean, I think like it's, you know, in the beginning stages, it was like, we clearly wanted the can to be the hero. It was like, we got, the can's got to be the hero. There's still a food service, there's still a single serve. If this can shows up in social media or on small photos, like we want this to stand out from all the rest of the sparkling waters. So it was something that I think was a real big success was the ability to kind of like, stay true to the heart and soul of the brand while still being something that people could kind of like connect with on a bigger broader level and sort of speak to a very broad audience and we maintained the connection to you know kind of like their original community of like these sort of like healthier moms and things while also appealing to bigger businesses and things that are now starting to bring these products into their cafes and into things for their employees that are trying to create a better environment and a better products for the customers so it's like I think the ability to kind of like capitalize on the big strategy and sort of bring that to life in a really bright, colorful way that still feels like them and feels like the people we met seven years ago, and it presents a lot of pride for me,
0: for sure. And then it as well as like, we also created like a design and a style that if you go to the supermarket and you see it from a distance, it's instantly recognizable, which I'm super proud of as well. Like you see that as a billboard in the aisle and they're like, that's Spindrift. You're starting to see some copycats that like that kind of do something similar, but I think on its own, it still stands... As a singular design, has like you know really lasted in the last five years. We're very proud of it as
1: well. You got some of the directive and the criteria, and the logo was sounds like it was off the table. Like we really like the logo, we like what it's doing, and so you didn't really put a lot of energy and effort in that. As you got into the concepts and the creative, did you ever think, "Ooh, should we redo the logo?" Like, did you ever have that thought and say, "Like we should push it," or did you say, "Like yeah, it's good, it's good, we're good to go"? Did you ever have the moment though where you thought about changing the logo? We actually proposed it a number of times. It was just like,
0: eh, you know? And so we were kind of picking up on the vibe on, on that side of things. And respectfully, we stayed away from it from our, with our concepts. But of course, I mean, you know it goes. I mean, uh, when you're on that side of things, you want to have your hand in all of it. But as an agency or whatever you want to call us from brand developers, you don't always get the opportunity to touch everything. But it all comes down to the stuff you can improve on and you can affect. And so we're, our focus was on that at that point. And so what we said is like, okay, if we're going to use a logo, which has served them well. But if we're going to use the logo and keep it the same, how do we have everything play off of that? Knowing that that is going to be a very consistent part of it and also like something we just ultimately can't touch So, But yes, to answer your question, yes. We can try to push to search and redesign it.
3: <laughs> in the beginning, we were just kind of, yeah, whatever you guys said, we're good. yeah, that sounds good. You know, it's like, you guys you want to you keep it? We're we'll make it work. And we were just, I mean.
1: Yeah, that's true.
3: And then as we got in, we're kind of like,
1: is this open? They're like, no. I'm like, you sure? Like, no. Like, okay, got it. Despite Adam and Adam's best efforts, they got the stiff arm on the new logo proposal, but they did land a new can design with a recognizable visual language and updated messaging. Next up, they scrambled to get the website updated and oversaw the packaging production, including multiple flights to Chicago for press checks, around 10 trips in all just to get the colors and the printing on the aluminum just right. Since Spindrift was a relatively small operation at the time, there weren't dramatic reveals at an internal company conference. There were no confetti cannons, no planes flying over the Spindrift headquarter beach at Nantucket. It just quietly hit the shelves. And one of the great things about working with startups is the desire to go fast. There was no laborious consumer testing that can plague creatives in the CPG world. In this case, they were just going. They were rolling. And since Spindrift controlled their own inventory, they were able to test it in small ways by releasing small groups of the new product in test markets, if you will. And they were waiting to see how consumers adopted that new design. And a big part of this story also is the launch of the seltzer product or the sparkling water product around the same time. Again, here's Adam Renfri. They put it up on
3: social and they kind of maybe asked some of their sort of loyal fans and things, but there wasn't that real big sort of test and potential pullback because at the time they were still, this was like almost a bit of a launch of this product because the seltzers, as they were calling them at first, were really new when we came on board. And so they only dabbled those out. So when ours came out, the seltzer was not really widely distributed. They were still primarily focused on their sort of sweeter, more full flavor kind of soda alternative at the time. So it was kind of a new, almost a bit of a product launch at the same time as a rebrand.
1: What about the sodas? How did they sunset that out? Because today I don't think about spindrift sodas. I think about the sparkling water. How did they change that product mix and eventually really just focus on the sparkling water side?
3: That was one of their big initiatives to remove natural flavors from all their products. They kind of made a conscious business decision that they wanted to be one of the only ones to remove all natural flavors and the sodas contain natural flavors and so they went all in on removing natural flavors and going 100% sparkling water, which you know brought us into another bit of a redesign because we had to kind of like start kind of figuring out that as well.
0: It was a really strategic, smart move on their side because at, at the same time they yeah they wanted to get away from natural flavors. They were also seeing some trends in the market where some of the, like even juice brands were getting blowback well because of the amount of sugar that was being you know that was built into the juices themselves. So they really made a strategic decision: let's go all in on sparkling. Let's be a leader in the category and let's not confuse the messaging with having another subcategory that has natural flavors and is high sugar. So it was a really, it was a really smart
1: move. Doubling down on the real promise associated with the Spindrift brand was pretty huge. LaCroix and other leading brands started to catch some heat around the, quote, natural flavoring listed on their beverages. What is natural flavoring, you might ask? Well, it depends. Some alleged that, quote, all natural is misleading when the drinks supposedly contain several chemicals that the FDA defines as synthetic, including one used in cockroach insecticide. The synthetic chemicals in question became the focus of a 2018 class action lawsuit against national beverage company, the LaCroix parent brand. The company in response said the chemicals in question naturally occur in strawberries, pineapples, bananas, and many other fruits. And in fact, the court agreed. In 2020, the lawsuit was ultimately dismissed, stating the allegations were kind of baseless, but the negative PR affected many in that category that had the natural flavoring. And the power of focus in this story really shouldn't be overlooked. And I think that is the real secret ingredient for the brand's success focusing in on real fruit juice yes the redesign helped the product stand out on the shelves and yes the simplified design language better aligned perceptions with the reality of the quality product but i can't get past the fact that they canceled an entire product line of sodas with natural flavorings since it went against this new brand promise of keeping it real that takes courage and all in all, the project went pretty smooth for this newly formed agency colony. The timeline and the speed to market was a bit of a challenge, but overall, the success was attributed to their working relationship with Strick and Bill.
0: It was a unique thing where we were small, but they were small too. So it wasn't this huge design by committee, a huge approval process. Of course, they had to ladder it up to the board. So there's no doubt. And, and we had to get sign off from the board, but you know, we're really talking about the creative side of things. It was really Adam and myself and one of our designers. And then on their side, it was the CMO and Bill Creelman, the founder himself. So we were kind of just going back between the four of us mostly and just really kind of going and, and spitballing and sharing ideas. And, you know, they're
1: both lovely people to work with. There wasn't a ton of back and forth, to be honest. We were pretty lucky in that regard. The success for Spindrift is staggering. If my math is correct, which for someone with a fine arts degree, is a little bit suspect. Their revenue in 2016 was just shy of $2 million. In 2020, they had reported revenue of $100 million, an increase of about 5,000%. That's a lot of fresh-squeezed juice. The horizon continues to look bright for the brand. In the spring of 2021, they launched a spiked product line that has seen exciting growth, even in another competitive category with brands like White Claw and Truly to contend with. Both Adams are really proud of this work and continue to work closely with Spindrift to this day.
3: From a business objective standpoint, they've seen you know enormous growth, and of course, a great team and sales and superior product. I mean, we're just a small piece in the puzzle here. And again, it was you know the team all is phenomenal. The product is it's far superior, but we do like to think that the brand was it was a key piece of that sort of growth and success of like the brand's sort of expansion across the country.
0: We still work with them hand in hand. Almost every day, we're in conversation with them. We're, we're we feel like an extension of their team. I mean, they even joke we're almost like uh, Spindrift West Coast. You know, they've joked about that in the past. Like we feel lucky that you know we're ingrained with their business to an extent and we get to see their growth and feel like true partners as opposed to just an agency for hire or kind of removing the transaction out of it and making it feel like we're part of the family, which has been a really great experience for us. It's really cool to see that they really haven't lost themselves either from a brand tone perspective. It still feels very homegrown in a way. It's funny because we still see them in, in that regard a little bit because we know the people and we started out in the get-go. Even though they are a leader now, and they even joke about themselves where they're just kind of like, yeah, can you believe we're like one of the oldest sparkling brands out there now? It's like, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty wild, you know? I mean, it's they have had such a big impact on the space, yet they still feel like, you know, it was started by a guy shopping around the back of his bike in Nantucket, which is very cool. And like, it's really great to see that they haven't lost that
1: feel. As we've heard, this project was early on in the lifespan of Colony. So they were still figuring out a lot of things, like workflow, office location, and of course, email addresses.
3: We definitely had our uh, moments in the beginning when we were first starting. Okay, like, hey, who gets the Adam app email? Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> who? Like, who did? Like, no, who? nobody. No one can get we it. Nobody. Yeah, you know, Adam and last initial. And like, it's always the joke in every meeting. It's like kind of like, so who's Adam one? Who's Adam two? I like to play number one. Just I'm older. It kind of goes back and forth. And there's, I mean. We've had every jump under the sun, but it's, pretty,
1: oh, it's pretty funny. Okay, that is a wrap. Thanks for listening. And special thanks to Adam Nathanson and Adam Renfree for their time and giving us a behind the scenes look into the work. To see more visuals from today's episode, head on over to achangeofbrand.com. And if you liked today's episode, share it with a fellow brand nerd or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Today's episode was edited by Matt Owen, fact checked by Jill Jeffries, co written by Pamela Hinman, and special thanks to Tracy Clark for our brief in and Malik Fawkes for today's episode artwork. I'm your host, Blake Howard, signing off.